0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. I'm going have you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning. Pastor Brad is not feeling well this morning. We'll be praying for him. Hopefully he'll be, feel better soon. Um, but he had asked me to preach, which was, um, as far as time goes, kind of weird, because um, not only did we do, do the missions trip, which was a week, then I turned around and went to Louisville, Kentucky for my doctorate work, which is always stressful. And then Saturday I had to um, officiate my sister-in-law's wedding, right here on that floor, Um, and then I got a call from Pastor Brad asking me if I could preach, so I I was like, yeah, no, yes, I will, yes, I will. You never want to say no to a preaching opportunity, so hopefully it won't be horrible for you this morning. um, I remember watching a, um, there was a story of, um, uh, what do they call them, Um, these preachers that would travel around and the, um, these Methodist pastors that would travel. Circuit riding preachers is what they'd call them. So there was this guy named Sheffy, and I remember the first time he preached. Um, and I saw the, the movie, and he's up there preaching, got so nervous that he just bolted out of the back of the church. And I remember two guys um, running out after him and tackling him, telling him he has to preach. <laughs> so, um, Lee, Chad... Be ready, man. I might be. I might be bolting here soon. All right. John 13. These are two verses that um, really stand out because of what they say. I'm going to read to you verses 31 through 35. It says this. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now this is now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also." Glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. Verses 34 and 35 stand out when Christ stops and he tells the disciples this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, You are also to love one another. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What a beautiful statement that is. Those last two verses. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this. Father, Lord, bless the next few moments. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that it would be glorifying to you and your son. Pray that Jesus would be magnified, exalted. Pray that, Lord, we would have a deeper sense of, Lord, what really matters in this life. We know that you can do it. In Christ's name, amen. When I was a kid, there was a... A theme park called Storytown. Storytown was uh, is now owned by Six Flags, but it's it was this kind of mom and pop th- amusement park that you would go to, and it quickly grew into something that was bigger and better than whatever they could dream of. And so, once a year, as kids, my parents would save up money and they would um, take us all to Storytown. Storytown was a lot of fun. We looked forward to it. It was the highlight of our summer, and Since going to Storytown, every theme park since has been judged by Storytown. So nothing measures up, right? Because it's not Storytown. Disney World does not measure up because Storytown exists, all right? If you were going to Storytown, you'd be like scratching your head, what? As kids, things mean more to you than you think. And I remember as a four-year-old kid, they used to have this Western show where they would bring in these uh, two bank robbers. And the idea was that you would watch this bank robbery go down, and you'd see these guys come out of the bank with their bags of loot, and, and the idea was they were supposed to come over and engage the crowd a little bit, probably anger the crowd. You wanted to be against them, and in some ways, you wanted them uh, to be captured. Well, at some point in the uh, little play that they do in front of this crowd, um, they single out a little kid, who um, at some point is supposed to, when the robbers come over, you're supposed to slap one of the robbers on the backside, and that engages them to run. They jump over a fence at the other, other end of the other end of the walkway, um, which is about a hundred yards away, and they jump over and they get away from the sheriff. And the sheriff was the guy who comes out and really scares them. So. What what enamored me was when the robbers came out, and they were standing in front of me. Now I'm four or five, so I'm thinking these guys are real deal robbers, right? I'm thinking this is the real thing, and I'm a little scared. I look at the sheriff, and he has this huge badge on his lapel that says sheriff, and I'm just enamored by it. And I do my thing. They singled me out. They asked me to slap the guy, so I slap the dude, and he hightails it. Hundred yards, they jump over the fence, they get away. The sheriff is standing there, and he's kind of like the hero of the day, and I'm the hero of the day, so we're both standing there. It was kind of cool um, to be in that moment. A couple years later, I was at Storytown again, and you know, I'm a few years older now and wiser, and uh, I see the same thing go down. They didn't single me out that time, but I remember when the sheriff came out, I looked at him and Nothing seemed the same. The robbers didn't seem as well put together. It just didn't feel real anymore to me. Somehow I was in between that age where, you know, I was like, I don't think this is real. The sheriff comes out. I look at his little plastic sheriff badge, which is half hanging off, you know, and it's got some chips on it. It's Not as shiny as it used to be. And I'm realizing it's not real. It's not real. A little disappointing that day to realize it wasn't real. You know, as I grew up, I realized that it's common for us to want to be known as something. And, you know, a sheriff has to be identified. He has that marker. But in that case, it was just a plastic shield that said sheriff. But then I realized as Christians, it's oftentimes we create these little badges for ourselves. What I call badges. Badges. These are things that we want to be identified by. For some of us, it's just a cheap plastic imitation of the real thing. So this text reminds us of what the real thing actually is. Now for some, the badges could be things like doctrinal purity. We want to be known by how much of the Bible we really know or how well we can argue scripture. For some, it could be passionate service. I want to be known by, I want you to know me as somebody who gives a lot to others. For others, that badge could be just busyness. You ever go up to somebody and say, How was your week? You know, you could have said that to me. Crazy busy. (laughs) Crazy busy. You've heard that term before. Maybe you've used it before. I'm crazy busy. But that's our badge. Every time you talk to that person, I'm crazy busy. Like, I just want to be known as a busy person. Maybe it's their standards. That's how they mark themselves, by what they do or don't do. Maybe it's success in business. That's what I want to be known by. When I walk into an environment like this, I just want people to know me as successful. Whatever it is, those badges are cheap cheap imitations of the real thing. And that's what Christ is speaking of. He's saying, I'm about to go away, and I want to leave you with what A real badge looks like. I'm going to read it to you again in verse 34. A new badge I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this shall all men know, or all people know, that you are my disciples. By this one thing, it will mark you as a true disciple. You can try other things, but they'll be cheap imitations. Christ makes it clear that this is one our one distinguishing mark. So my questions to you this morning are, what badges are you tempted to wear? How do others perceive you? Your coworkers, your family, your wife, your husband. How do you want them to perceive you? And lastly, do they perceive you as a loving person? So where do we find this text? Well, uh, one of the events leading up to the... Um, to Christ's crucifixion is uh, chapter 13, the washing of the disciples' feet, the betrayal of Judas. This is all in this text. Christ is about to turn the corner in his relationship with his disciples and tell them more and more about what's going on. And so this is the new commandment. He is saying, listen, I'm preparing you because I'm about to go away. In our fallen condition, we are naturally bent towards self. Christ knew this. He's He knew that we were bent towards self-promotion, self-seeking behavior. So in an effort to make others think more highly of us, we portray ourselves in a way that we think others will pay attention to. And because of this, we often lose sight of this commandment. And so two questions I want to answer, or two things I want to answer for you, um, and they are this. Why does Christ command us to love others as he loved us? And secondly, why do we struggle with this command to love others as Christ loved us? Those are two questions. Look at those questions again. Why does does Christ command us to love others as he loved us? And why do we struggle with this command to love others as Christ loved us? So my first point this morning is Christ commands us to love others because God is most glorified in us when we are most like him. Christ is most glorified in us when we are most like Him. Hebrews 1 reminds us that He, or Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Christ is God. As we know in the second person of the Trinity. But He is God. First John 4, 7 says this about our response. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. See, God's commands are not a duty to the believer, God's not just looking for mechanical obedience. God's commands are in us, working through us. It's part of his grace. We fall into this stream when he opens our eyes to salvation. We fall into the stream of grace where we can actually start to love people as Christ loved us. Before that, it doesn't happen. The love that the world has in an unsaved state is not the same as what Christ is suggesting here. We as believers have... The ability to love in a different way than the world loves. Our motives are different. Our endurance in that love is different. Our expectation of that love must be different. Right? It's a supernatural love flowing through us. And this is how other people will know that we are His disciples. This is that one distinguishing mark how other people will know that we are his disciples. In the early days of Rome, there was one Roman leader who said something to the effect, take a look at the church and how they love one another, for they are willing and ready to die for one another. example of maybe how that church was marked out by the love that Christ commanded here. So what is love? Is love kindness, pleasantries, emotional sentiment, feelings towards someone? Is love the giving of a card or flowers to show someone you care, good thoughts to our fellow man? Well, Jesus gives us insight in verse 1 of chapter 13 of what this love really is. If you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Jesus said, I love them to what? To end of what? The end of himself? The end of his life? Of course, the answer would be yes. Jesus is saying, I am loving them with everything that I have. This is a self-sacrificial love, something we would call Calvary love. Love is a spectrum which includes everything I mentioned above, but it goes deeper than that, and it does mean self-sacrifice, a cost that many are unwilling to pay. But now we know we will have it in us because Christ lives through us. That is what love is. It is a sacrificial love. So whatever view you have of love, this is what love is. You love to the end. Believers love to the end. How is this a new command? You say, how is this new? I thought the Old Testament commanded us to love others. Well, it does. Leviticus 19 verse 18 says this. I think I have a slide for that. I'm not sure. I don't have a slide for that. Okay. I'll read it to you. All right. It says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in what way? Because we see there that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in what sense is this new? Well, the qualifier is, as I have loved you. Full expression of this command in the Mosaic Law was a mystery until fulfilled in Christ. And as the fulfillment of this, we can now understand the depth of what loving others means. Love is not just not taking vengeance or holding a grudge towards others. It's sacrificing yourself for others. It's going beyond your comfort zone. It's extending yourself. So you may have some objections this morning, reasonable objections, right? I just don't think I have it in me to love certain people. I can't do it, right? Now, those of you who have been saved for any length of time, the challenge is to see really, you know, what we would consider lost people. There are lost people. Then there are really lost people, right? You've been saved any length of time. You hang out in the church a lot. You're around other Christians, and then you're exposed to sinners. It's hard for me to be around them. It's hard for me to show love toward them. Now, I run across somebody on the street who's shaved their head. They've got tattoos all over the place. They've got earrings in every body situation you can think of. It just makes you uncomfortable. How do I love somebody like that? Challenge is, it is challenging to love people all times in this way. But most importantly, Christ was saying, I want you to love each other this way. He was primarily focused on the church. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to love other people. But in this sense, he's saying the one marker of the church is how you love one another. In that sense, the one anothering would be the one anothering of the church. There are 50 or so, one another's in the New Testament. And it's all referring to the self-love the church has for one another. So while we are to love the world, Christ puts an emphasis on loving each other. Sacrificially. Now, we have siblings in this church. I know the temptation for siblings is to not love their other brothers or sisters. All right? If you're a parent and your kids don't get along and you think you're unique, you can come to my house, you can observe what goes on, and you will be comforted. All right. We are not alone. All right. Brothers and sisters inherently are selfish. Everybody's like, yeah, I knew it. They're selfish. We're all selfish. Selfish. And so God commands them to love as he loved. But notice this, it's impossible to do that unless they're born again. So not only is the love supposed to be poured out within the church, but it's impossible to love like this unless you are regenerate. So sometimes parents, Christian parents, you have a higher expectation of your child than what is naturally possible or even supernaturally possible. That doesn't give you a pass, you know, to hate on your sisters or brothers, all right? It just means that one of the marks that, one of the reasons why you may not love your brother or sister is because you're not regenerate, you're not saved. When it comes to the church, you may protest and say, I really don't like that person very much. And you may have decided, I refuse to show them love. I just avoid them. These things are not good. Christ uses the language of the command so that we can rely on him to be faithful to what is in his heart. He is reading um, or he is saying these things in front of his disciples. We know who's there. Judas is there. Unregenerate Judas. He's Issuing these words, verse 21 says of chapter 13, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 27 says, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said, what are you going to do or whatever you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him. Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. Now, catch this Judas was undetected. How did Judas go undetected? Because he wore a badge, an artificial badge. And the others looked at it like I was at four years old, thinking that sheriff was a real sheriff. They're all sitting there going, This is a real disciple. But then this happens, and they find out he did betray him. And they realize he was just wearing an artificial badge. But he was one of them. Jesus said, the wheat and the tares will grow together. It is my business to separate them at the end. When Paul addressed the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he said, there are grievous wolves who will come out from among you. What makes the church so hard? Because there are some very unlovable people in the church. But this one mark distinguishes us from the world. How about Matthew? Or sorry, Peter. Peter is a shining example of somebody who is saved, who vowed to die for Christ, and that Christ says, Peter. Before the the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter did. This is an example of somebody who is saved who fails to follow this command. So, what I'm suggesting to you this morning that Christ lays out is not an easy command, very difficult, but it's necessary. It marks us in this world as disciples of Christ. Now, you may not want to be marked as a disciple of Christ in this cancel culture. You may be reticent to suggest certain things, certain positions, because you know it will come back and haunt you. Listen, Christ didn't say, by your position on this or that, you will be known. He's saying, by the love that you share you will be known as my disciples. So one of the badges that we can often carry is a political badge or a position badge. Hey, I'm anti this or I'm pro this. Even that is an artificial badge when you compare it to this text. This is an important theme throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says this. I'm pretty sure I have a slide on that. I was rapidly doing these this morning. For your sake, not for mine. I was like, you know, I want you to be able to read along. It says this, and I pray that you being rooted, this is Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how How high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasseth knowledge. Now, think about that for a minute. This was Paul's prayer for the church. Being rooted and established in love, he's praying this, that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ. I know I switched that, forget that. And to know this love that surpasseth knowledge. What did Paul see in the Ephesian church that would cause him to pray this way? You ever think that way? Like, why would Paul write that? And you start to wonder when you go to Revelation chapter 2 and he brings up the church at Ephesus. And what was the one thing that Christ calls them out for? They left their first what? Love. You see, we can't take our love for granted. We can't just assume because we're nice people, we're loving people. Niceness is not the same as love. Some of you are nice to other people in the church, but you don't love them. That's the temptation. Why do we struggle with this command to love one another as quickly? We struggle to love others as Christ loved us because love is not always appreciated by others. Love is not always appreciated by others, so therefore we are tempted to put on other badges that will get their appreciation. Right? Logic would say, the more I love others, the more others will love me back. But Paul says, under inspiration, in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, and I will, be very, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That's troubling, right? Some of you may have found that in your marriages early on. Hopefully not. This is true in life. I don't know why that happens, because we live in a fallen world, I suppose. But abundantly, the more I love you, the less I am loved. Sometimes that's the case. Why is that the case? Because we have a faulty expectation of love. In our broken world where things that are good are despised and things that are wrong are honored, it's natural in this broken world to find illogical behavior like this. I love you, and yet you hate me the more. Someone quoted or has the quote, Love wins, right? Love wins. I'm not sure that's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 12 15. Love wins, right? Sometimes love doesn't win in the way you want it to win, so therefore we have a faulty expectation of what love will produce from others. Tired of loving on them because I get nothing back. I pour out, I pour out, I pour out, and I get nothing. You see, that's what Paul would say. How can I love my brother or sister? Because every time I do, they just take another toy of mine. Or they just call me another name. Or they turn around and they just punch me in the face. What Paul is saying, the more I love, the less I be loved. In some cases, that's true. And yet the command is still given, right? Christ says, I want you to love others because this will be the distinguishing mark. Others have a faulty perception of the worth of our love. This is also very challenging. Because not only do we have a faulty expectation of love when it comes to us, we have others who are not appreciating this love. And and that's the challenge, right? We offer up something and it's rejected. We do something nice for our spouse and it's rejected the time I bought a vacuum cleaner for my wife's birthday. <laughs> Sincere mistake, all right? I found out very quickly. She doesn't like vacuum cleaners on her birthday, all right? All right, so I waited for Christmas, all right? Very smart, very intelligent person. Um, You know, it's the thought that counts, right? They say the thought that counts. But sometimes it's you gotta you gotta think of the thought that goes behind some of these things, right? My wife hates peanut butter. You know, peanut to her, she was she had a babysitter who made her eat peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Which me growing up, I grew up with peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. All right? Right? Are you about to lose your stomach before lunch? All right. So, she hates peanut butter. So, out of love, I don't offer her anything with peanut butter. Right. She appreciates that of me. The vacuum cleaner, no. The peanut butter, yes. Right? Love isn't always appreciated because it isn't done the way the receiver wants it done. Ultimately, God is pouring out his love upon us. And it oftentimes goes rejected. He is the ultimate, ultimate giver of love. And yet, because it's not done the, the way we want it done, we oftentimes don't even acknowledge it. To illustrate this, I'll share with you a story. Washington, D.C. metro station on a cold January morning in 2007 The man with the violin played six Bach pieces for over 45 minutes. During that time, approximately 2,000 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. After three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried to meet his schedule. Four minutes later, the violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw the money in the... Had and without stopping, continued to walk. Six minutes more go by. A young man leaned against the wall to listen to him, then looked at his watch and started to walk again. Ten more minutes. Three-year-old boy stopped by, by his mother, uh, uh, Stopped, but his mother tugged him along hurriedly. Kid stopped to look at the violinist again, but the mother pushed hard, and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children. Every parent, without exception, forced their child to move on quickly. Forty-five minutes goes by. The musician played continuously. Only six people stopped and listened for a short while. About 20 gave money but continued to walk at their normal pace. The man collected a total of $32. Finally, after an hour, he finished playing and silence took over. No one noticed, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written, with a violin worth over $3.5 million. Two days before Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where the seats averaged hundred dollars imagine that? Because it wasn't done in the way that the receiver wanted it, it goes unvalued. This is a true story. Joshua Bell played incognito in a metro station. It was organized by the Washington Post as part of a social experiment about perception, taste, and people's priorities. And the questions raised, in a commonplace environment, At an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected context? I could ask the same thing. In a commonplace environment, at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive love? Do you perceive love? Do you stop to appreciate it? Do you recognize the love in an unexpected context? God is pouring out his love upon us as a church. In our lives, do we stop and consider it? Or are we bitter, gnarly, complaining people? Always in the back of our minds saying, we're not getting what we are due. God is withholding something from us. Now, we don't say that audibly because we know it's not true, but we think it. Somehow you were shortchanged in life, and maybe you feel like something's been withholding from you. But here, God has been playing this beautiful violin throughout your life, and often that love goes unappreciated. When it comes to others, oftentimes you've thrown out your love and it's been rejected. You've done wonderful things for people and it just doesn't go appreciated, right? So the temptation is to build into your life something that will be appreciated. And oftentimes that is that Bible knowledge or, hey, I want to serve others. Maybe it's your busy schedules, your business success, your children's talents. That's an easy one, right? I want to talent my family. I want to be known by having the good kids. Your niceness, your kindness. We can pack our lives with these things and we can put those fake plastic badges on us. They really don't matter. In the end, we are surrounded by a love that's hard to recognize and often underappreciated. I want to encourage you this morning that we are part of God's family. We give love sacrificially and we must receive love in that way too. This helps us because the days are coming and are here where the difference between the church and the world are going to grow bigger and wider apart. And this world is going to have to look at a place and say, by their love, we know them as disciples of Christ. Grace Community Family, you are loved and greatly loved we do well to love others don't quit on somebody just because they don't respond the way you want them to keep loving that is god's command let us be known in this community as a church that loves one another as christ has loved us let us pray father it is a delight to be in your family Quite striking, Lord, to read these words and to know that you singled out this one mark, Lord, as that which would differentiate us from the world. We are taken back by it, Lord, we should be. Because, Lord, in our fallen condition, we are not naturally loving people, we are self seeking, self promoting, very much interested in our own lives. But Lord, you've turned that around when you created us as a new creation. Father, you've given us a new heart, new desires. And now our attempts are to love one another. So may we do so, Lord, with great joy. Lord, when those who we pour out our love upon, maybe it's in our homes, Lord, or maybe it's here at church, don't respond the way we want them to. It's okay same way you faced the world, Lord. You were rejected and despised by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What a command. Mm. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.